to um, be a church that does whatever it takes to serve and in this way bless those who live within this West Metro area and then prayerfully that it expands to the cities and to the nation and to the world. And we had an opportunity last week to just see how God is reaching out through this church into the world. Um, we don't sometimes see all the things that are going on within the church. And when talk about blessing, uh, the last two Sundays, I have, after the service, been able to be a part of some blessings. And so um, the blessing of dedicating children, which a lot of times we do here, but because of COVID situations, I was at... Um, David and um, Corrine, uh, they're the Ungers, um, and we did a, a Courtney, I'm sorry, David and Courtney Unger, I knew I had that wrong, um, and their son Brooke and their family, and uh, if can you just believe it, it was just a few weeks ago, like Sunday it was like 60, and then last Sunday was 70, and so we did another one, um, and that was Jordan and Lindsay with their little one, and then I had an opportunity to also dedicate um, a little Howie, my kid's uh, second grandson, my second grandson as well. So um, I am just um, excited about how God is blessing and how he is at work. We had a wedding here, and you may not even know it. It was set up yesterday. Uh, some of you know uh, the Moline family and the Prom family. So Davis uh, Moline and Mandy Prom were married yesterday, and so we are celebrating Davis and, and Mandy Moline's um celebration as we had a chance to bless them. I am excited to begin this series. We've been looking at Luke and his gospel and and the themes that he has in it. And now we're going to actually turn to this study in Acts and and take a look at that. Um, And you may not realize it, but Acts is a sequel to Luke. And there are many scholars who believe that not only was there going to be the book of Acts, but the way that the book of Acts ends, many of them believe there was going to be another sequel after this book. Don't know what it would have been called. But I thought about sequels, and I, I, I thought, what, what are the favorite sequels um, that people might have? You might think about movie sequels. Think about a movie sequel, and, and, and what, are, what are your favorites? And um, I found it interesting. I went on the 100 best movie sequels of Rotten Tomatoes, and here's their top three. Play uh, Paddington 2. Anybody seen that? Okay. Um, Toy Story 2. And then one that I had never heard before. Three Colors Red. I thought, well, I'm not crazy about Rotten Tomatoes sequels. So I thought, okay, I'll look at maybe someone that would be a little more on the edge. So Rolling Stone magazine has a reader's poll. And their top three were The Godfather Part 2. Uh, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, a little bit, bit different than Paddington and Toy Story. And then the other, Empire Strikes Back. So I don't know what your favorite sequel is, but in the Bible, there's a number of sequels. Uh, the Bible has uh, Genesis, and then it's followed with the book of Exodus, and, and it's purposeful to follow as a sequel. And then you have 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Uh, one of my favorite sequels, though, is this book of Acts. And I'm excited for us to take time to get into it. And we're going to start right away here in chapter 1 and, and, and kind of dig into what does it mean? Why was after Luke's gospel, was it in his heart a desire to write this sequel 
And we're told even by a man named Theophilus, who is probably the person who is the patron who paid to help Luke be able to write this, because it was an expensive thing to write a book and get manuscripts in that day. So we're going to look at that. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we take a look at this passage of Scripture and you open our hearts, I pray that our hearts and our eyes would be made known to what you want us to see in this. Bring, we pray, a history this sequel alive. And, and God, may we be the kind of people where we live who continue the story and write that, that book that um, Luke may have wanted to write, but you have been writing out through history. And so we thank you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you look at Acts chapter um, 1, verses 1 through 12, there are three things that it sets out right away. Because right from the beginning... Jesus, as we saw in Luke, had a mission, and he made it clear about the kingdom of God, and he shared who his target was with Israel, and then after that, he shared with them and showed them throughout his life, and we looked at this, that prayer was the resource that allowed for the power of God to flow through him. So you would think that if we're going to look at a sequel, those might be some themes early on that he's going to address. And so what he does here is he does exactly that. The very first thing he begins with is is you read through this, you hear him state the mission that the church is about. He takes in verses 1 and he, he, he gives you this idea of what your mission will be. Remember that, you may remember the TV show or the movie uh, Mission Impossible and get this letter and then he would read it and then he'd get this little tape recorded thing that says, um, this is your mission if you choose to accept it. Well, that's kind of what I want to challenge you to think about. Are you online with the mission that God wants you to be about? Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 13 says this, In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. And that word there, began, is really important because this sequel begins to go further and says here is how Jesus is continuing to do this. So pay attention. It says, Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit, and during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to us, to the apostles, from the time to time, and he prayed to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. In a sense, when he says this, he began, Jesus began to, to do and to teach. That's something kind of underlined until the day he was taken up to heaven. That's a very important statement right there. It's, it's as if Luke is saying, I am writing. In fact, Jesus is telling you that he wants you to continue to do what he's been doing. That's your mission, to do what Jesus was doing, to be able to go about and to love people the way that Jesus loved and then to teach people about what it means to live under his rule, his kingdom. And so as you go through this, you'll see that's kind of what he says our mission is. Um, We are the extension of the ministry of Jesus. You and I are to do what Jesus did. That's our assignment. It's pretty simple. Look for people that God places before you every day and love them. And then there's opportunity explained to them about what it means to be a person who follows Jesus. That's, that's what Luke 
is telling us in this first few verses of Acts. He says, live like Jesus did. Watch where the Spirit of God is moving. That's what Jesus would do. And where he saw his Father at work, he would then step into those places. And so our assignment is really not that difficult. It's to basically keep our eyes open and to see where God might be moving around us and where he is moving, then to step into those places where he's moving. Now, there's a few tips that he gives you in this passage of Scripture that I think are important because it's really easy for us to get off mission. And so he he wants to right away give us some tips, and, and I call them in some ways warnings. And the first is this. Don't forget who's in charge. A lot of times when we read this statement of until the day he was taken up to heaven, and it'll get a little bit later in verses 9 through 11, you you see the ascension of Jesus. And, And we know of doctrines, we talk about the death of Jesus, we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, and then we talk about the ascension, but we don't really understand the importance of the ascension. And what I believe Luke wants to do, and what Jesus wants us to be aware of when he starts out this book, is he's talking about the importance of the ascension. He's basically saying, here's the point. Jesus began the ministry. He then was ascended into heaven and took the place next to his father in the throne room. So what he's saying is, I began it here on earth. I am now still in charge. Okay, Jesus is still in charge. He's in heaven. And he's given the mission to continue what he began to you and to me. And then the point of the ascension is that he's going to return someday and wrap up what we've been doing over the time when he left in the ascension and he returns in the second coming. And so Luke is beginning right away by telling us, I want you to understand when you are about your mission, you're not on your own. It's not a mission that just a church has given you. It's not a mission that some pastor or someone has thought up. It is actually a mission that you have been given by Jesus when he left, and he's still giving you commands in heaven. He's still very much alert to what's going on. He's still very much involved to what's happening in this situation that we're in right now with COVID and all the polarization we see politically and all the stuff going on. Jesus is in heaven, and he's in charge. So when you're on mission... Don't ever get out there thinking, wow, this is so hard. And one of the ways you get off mission is to recognize, is, is to fail to recognize that Jesus is still there giving you commands and he's still at work. The second thing that I want you to note that I think is interesting here in verses four and five is he, he basically says, don't rush things. Um, it's a challenge to pay attention to God's timing. In, in these verses, you'll see that it says that once he was eating with them and he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem till the Father sends you the gift he has promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to note that that's an important statement. He says it at the very end of Luke. He says, I want you to wait till you are clothed with spirit on high, from the Spirit on high with power. And so he's calling them to wait and to act when Jesus calls them to act. He's saying, don't just rush out and do things in your flesh. Don't try and convert someone. You'll never convert someone. That's the work of God through the Holy Spirit. So as Jesus is in heaven, as he's directing this, and he's continuing to minister through you and me, he is, he is saying, as you are in mission, make sure that you pay attention to how the Spirit of God is working. One of the things that I found as I've been studying this book of Acts is um, it's really interesting. You see God act. Chapter 2, we'll see that the Spirit comes down. And then afterwards, Peter explains what goes on. 
You'll see then a little bit later, you'll have in, in the next chapter, John and Peter are walking and they, they have the opportunity to, to heal someone and then afterwards they explain it to the Sanhedrin. It's this kind of juxtaposition of God acts and, and that's one of the reasons it's called the book of Acts. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. Many New Testament scholars say that's not really what it should be called. It's the Acts of God through the Apostles. Which is no different than us. It's the acts of God through us in our lives, in the lives of other people. And so God acts, and then we have an opportunity, because of how God acts, to share and explain what God's been doing. So as you go on, he says, you know, wait and, and don't rush the things. As you're, um, God's placed someone in front of you, and God's moving. Move as much as he calls you to move. Don't go further than that. Stay in lockstep with the Spirit of God so that God can release his truth, his power, whatever needs to be in those moments when he is ready and that person is ready for what God wants to do. And so he talks about staying in the power of the Spirit. I had um, an opportunity to preach a couple Saturday nights ago at um, uh, Pastor Jacob Christie, who is our Indian pastor to the Indian community that we have. And so they meet on a Saturday night in Zoom, and so I preach, and I preach about the prayer and the power of God and to a, a group of people, I believe, who have seen it and know that power. And, uh, and I got done at the end, and he goes, Pastor, you're right. He said, would you try and do anything without God? It's like taking a butter knife and trying to cut down a tree. He said, that's how silly it is. And I, I thought, that's really true. You, you need something with power to cut that down. So he, he was kind of emphasizing that sense of step out and do it as the spirit begins to move. Another thing is this. Don't get stuck on what you don't know. That, that's really typical when you're in situations where God is placing people before you and you're beginning to see God move and you start to move into it. It can be really tempting to think that you have to be something you're not or to know something you don't know. In verses 6 to 11, it says, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking, Lord, has the kind come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Well, first of all, they don't understand fully what the kingdom is about. So Jesus replies, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know. Do you know there's some things that God says, you just don't need to know. You just need to step out and trust me. You just need to take whatever that next step is. It's not about your feelings. It's not about how much knowledge you have. And so he goes on, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people everywhere about me, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The, the, the point there is, there are some things that you just don't need to know, but here's what you do need to be. That's a witness. And a witness is a really, it, really, it's not a difficult thing to be. You're not even called to be an expert witness. You know, expert witnesses come in with some expertise in a certain field, and you may have some expertise. He doesn't even say that. He just says, I want you to be a witness. And a witness is simply someone who, who tells someone what they've heard, what they've seen, and what they've experienced. That's it. And at that point, your job is done. And your job is to say, Holy Spirit of God, I don't understand. Maybe I don't, you know, they may have questions about doctrine or things like that, and I can maybe help them with some resources. But it is not your job necessarily to be the one who is a scholar, a philosopher, an apologist. It is merely just to say what you have experienced and how God has worked in your life. 
And then the third, uh, the fourth thing I would just encourage you is not only do you live with the sense that Jesus is in heaven and he's in charge, he is, he is the one who's given you the direction and he is working through you as you pay attention to the Holy Spirit and don't rush things. Now you say, okay, I'm going to walk out and I'm going to witness. And, and here's the fourth thing. Don't get sidetracked. It's really easy for us to get off on topics that are really not important when it comes to people's um, relationship with God. Now, they may have some important questions, but he says, don't get sidetracked. Um, Acts 1, 6 through 8, he says, after saying this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him as they strained to see him rising into heaven. Two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. I mean, this is quite a picture. You know, you're sitting here, you've been walking with Jesus, you've seen Jesus do all kinds of incredible things. He's now been raised from the dead. He's been with you for about 40 some days and he's telling you all these things. He's preparing you because he told you that he was going to leave and you thought he was going to leave at the death, but now he's back after the resurrection and he's still telling you I'm going to be going and I'm going to be sending someone to be with you, to walk with you, to empower you, to be the witnesses, to carry on the mission. That's what you're called to do. I don't care where you work. I don't care where you live. I don't care the social groups you're with. Your primary call, if you're a follower of Jesus, is this. How do I do what Jesus is doing? How do I love people the way Jesus loves people? And so he makes this point here. He says, after saying this, he's taken up in this cloud. They're watching. They can no longer see him. And as they strain to see him rising into the heavens, you can just see their eyes. Two white-robed men are suddenly standing among them. So they're looking. They're staring. They see these guys. And, And you see this picture. And they say, men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? I mean... I would go, well, because I've never seen anything like this before. This is unbelievable. But they're kind of startled. Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, and someday, guess what? He will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. That's the promise of this coming again, the second coming, which we, we carry in our hearts, knowing that there will come a time that God is going to put things together in a right way. But his question causes us to stop and say, don't get caught up into things that you shouldn't be caught up into. It was time, he said, for them to start continuing on doing what Jesus was doing. And there are so many ways, folks, that it is so easy for us to get caught up into things. We can get caught up into theological arguments that are not to the heart of what is really the gospel. We can get caught up into conspiracy theories. We can get caught up in, 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 in things that don't matter from a legalistic standpoint. There are so many things that we can get sidetracked on. And, and he says, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do one thing only, and that is to do this. While Jesus is in heaven, you and me, the church, are here to carry on what Jesus started. Because Jesus will come back and he will finish it. I want you to catch this. You are a part of the sequel that Jesus is writing. Luke wrote Acts. But there is a book after Acts that that we never really got, even if Luke was intending to write it, but the Holy Spirit was. And you are a part of authoring some of the pages that we will, in heaven, someday talk about. We'll actually see. Who knows? Maybe it'll be a video screen. I, who knows how we'll be experiencing it. 
Because you are authoring some things that only you can do. You are uniquely positioned by God around people, in circumstances, in your own family, in such a way that God is only going to be able, in one sense, to use you. He, he will use your uniqueness. He's prepared you. He's, he's put you in this place. And he says he's going to empower you to do it. I was um, reading the other day, and I read about, um, you know, this COVID stuff is just, it's so difficult. Doing this wedding the other day, and everyone's standing around with masks on, and it's just, um, it's, a, it's an interesting and strange experience. I was reading about this, this young man named Daniel Chibeta, and he was writing after he had graduated this last spring from college. He graduated from Yale College. And he was commenting on following Jesus. And he was also talking about, you know, how strange it is he was going to be going home and living with his family, which is fine, but it was not what he had intended. And he was asking in his own heart, you know, what should he do? What should this look like? And, and I, I love what he wrote. He said, how do we act at this point? We hold to the teaching of Jesus which is to let your light shine before others. And he says, wherever you're at, and right now I'm going to be at home. And then he says, amidst the very real tragedy and suffering of widespread disease, we have an incredible opportunity to lead our homes in becoming houses of God. Where Jesus is glorified, as family members show compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience to one another. So be the first to forgive your siblings or parents when disputes arise and the first to apologize when you are in the wrong just as the Lord has forgiven you. And I thought, man, I I need that guy in our house. (laughs) You have an opportunity to do what Jesus is doing right where you live and that's the first place is if you're not doing it in your home and loving people in your home, um, it gets more difficult to try and do it out in concentric circles beyond that. I read another individual was writing, and he was writing here specifically about our culture right now. And if you look at our culture, our culture is incredibly selfish and, and turned in on itself. He says, um, he says, I-based societies, so selfish, I-based, me-first societies always eventually die. And he just lists a whole bunch of them. This is the author, Jonathan Sachs, in a book called Morality, Restoring the Common Good in Divided Times. And then he says, other-based society survive because morality is not an option it's an essential and then he said here's what the church should be doing here's what we're called to do live with hope love your neighbor love the stranger hear the cry of the otherwise unheard liberate the poor from their poverty care for the dignity of all let those who have more than they need share with their blessings with those who have less feed the hungry House the homeless, heal the sick in body and mind, fight injustice, whether it's done by or whoever it is done against, and do these things because being human, we are bound by a covenant of human solidarity. We are all made in the image of God. And then he says this, these are moral principles, not economic or political ones. So to do what Jesus is doing, it transcends all economic and all political aspects. 
They have to do with conscience, not wealth or power. But without them, freedom will not survive. The free market, whether the right or the liberal democratic state on the left together, will not save liberty because liberty can never be built by self-interest alone. I-based societies all eventually die. We are here to do the mission of Jesus. And I have found in my life the only thing that um, really gets in the way of Jesus working through me is me. Think about it. You might think the same thing, right? Not me, I mean you. What gets in your, you know, I think what gets in my way? I can share with you things. My hurry. My ability to just kind of be on mission and walk by people when the mission is really to love people. My lack of patience. I've shared with you before about Airport Kev. It just bums me out that Airport Kev shows up in a lot of other places than just the airport. My judgmental spirit. And I ask you to think about it. You are in mission. You are in mission to love the person that God has placed or the people, wherever it may be. Your job is to continue what Jesus is doing. It's to love people the way people love, are to be loved, as, as, as the Lord tells us. And what gets in the way of you doing that? What attitudes? So if that's your mission, I'm going to go through these next two rather quickly. Here's what he says your target is. Your target is the person that God has placed in the circle of influence around you. That's what you should be praying about. Jesus was really quite clear about this. The people Jesus wants you to reach are the people within your reach. Think about it that way. The people that Jesus wants you to reach are the people that are within your reach. And they're within your reach for a reason, because God has prepared you and for them for God to intercede and to move and to bring his love and his hope. He lays out the priorities Jesus does in these series of concentric circles. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, verse 8, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. One, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, that's the first circle of influence. Second, in Samaria, and third, to the ends of the earth. If you look at these concentric circles, they break down in this way. Here are the, here's the target, basically, those like you. The people that live around you in your community, where you work, where you go to school, wherever it may be, as you, where you shop, those are your, that's, that's the first circle that you are to be paying attention to as you walk in mission saying, Jesus, I'm going to continue to do today what you called me to do. I'm going to love people the way you want me to love people. I'm going to see what's going on that gets in the way that I'm going to live in this way. It's those who are like you. The second circle of influence is what he says is Samaria, which was right next to Jerusalem and Judea. Those are the people that are not like you. They may be close to you in the sense of proximity, even where they live in this community that we live in. But usually they're people that are of a different social or racial group. They're people that are different from us, and they do things differently from us. He says, that's your second circle. It's not that far from you, but that's the opportunities that you're going to bump into because they're close to you. And in some ways, as a church, we actually think about how can we help target some of those areas and help ministries that are feeding people that are um, homeless. How do we come around people who are being trafficked? In, in these different areas. And then the third circle of influence, he says, is the ends of the earth. It's those who live a distance from you. Those are actually different people groups, nationalities, cultures, and languages, and, and on. Often we talk about people across the ocean. They don't really have to even be across the ocean. They can be down south 
quite a bit further, like in Central America, in places like that, that you could even actually drive to. But here's the question. Are you bringing Jesus to your first circle of influence? Jesus says, we're the light of the world. And, and I, I ask myself, would work or school or social network or our neighborhood be a bit darker if, if I weren't in it, if you weren't in it? Or you're the salt of the earth, and salt is preservative. Salt gives flavor to things. What would it be like if, if you were at work, let's say, what would the conversation be like if you weren't there? Is it a different conversation when you're there? What is, your, what are, what is the attitudes of, of the group? Is it different? Is it all negative? Is it, you know, you know the boss is a jerk? And what, what is it that, that when you think about it, if you pull yourself out, is there any flavor? Is there anything that is being brought into that circle of influence? He says, this is the target. And then the last is your power. Where are the resources? And, and it's interesting. He talks about the Holy Spirit as the power to wait for, because that's what's going to come. But here's the resource that really gets you in position for that power to be moved through you. It's prayer. That's why he says, I want you to wait for the power to come. Because it's when you begin to pray, when you begin to have a daily conversation with God, when you begin to walk with him, you position yourself in a daily basis to carry the mission to the target that God has for you because your heart is now aligned in conversation with the King Jesus who's on the throne and he, through his Holy Spirit, is able to speak to you to release his power into those places. And so that's why the last part is in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. He, he basically says this, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of a half mile. Where they, when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Most believe it was the same upper room that they had met in before. So they're meeting there. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, James, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all, and now when they say all, it's not just them. Those are the apostles, the 11 he's talking about. But he's saying they all, there's some 120 or so that are gathering. So it could be sometimes there's 60, sometimes 80, sometimes 120. But at this point, he says they've been gathering. And it says they all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brother of Jesus. I love the Passion Translation, the way it puts verse 14. All of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding day and night. They understood as a people how important prayer was. It was essential. I know that for people, prayer sometimes is something that, you know, some holy people do. Prayer tends to be something that you go out. I'm not sure how you do it. Does, I mean, do, does it mean you have to spend an hour or two in prayer? Or is it, what prayer is, is purely conversation with God. And what I like about the way that was said is all of them united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding night and day. 
24-7, they said this, I will be on mission. I'm going to do the rest of my life. The central priority of my life is to do what Jesus does, and that's to love people around me. And the target is going to be the people first around me that are like me, that God puts before me, because they're the people within my reach that God has prepared me to reach and to be able to love. And I'm going to learn. You're going to fail because you're not going to love right, but you're going to be able to be authentic and real about even your own failures and say there's grace. God is so um, in love with us. You'll be able to share that message that what you get to do is you get to walk and pray and constantly alert to Jesus who's in heaven, who is guiding and directing you through the Holy Spirit. And you cannot fail if you want to do it. If you go, I'm going to be in the game. One of my favorite um, silver lining benefits of COVID, and I'm going to ask the team if they'd come at this point and get ready to lead us in time of prayer, because we're going to do that together as a congregation here for the rest of this time of worship. It'll be a time of worship and prayer, and for some of you at home, we hope it'll feel like a living room setting. Um, We hope you'll feel that here, and we're going to invite you into this time of prayer. But one of my favorite, what I call silver lining, um moments in COVID is that I have been able to walk with my wife in the morning. So I'll have like a, a Zoom guys group and then after that I'll walk with my wife and then I'll have like a staff meeting or other meetings set up. But I get to walk with my wife and I just think it's been so fun because we walk and we talk. How often do you do you sit down with your spouse, let's say if you're married, or if you have a friend, how often do you sit down and just for an hour talk? I I, I can tell you I hadn't, we hadn't been experiencing that. And, and, and so for an, and so after about a half hour, you know, you do this on a fairly regular basis. Maybe we do it about four or five times a week. After a while, you kind of, what are you going to talk about, right? But it's amazing to me how we continue to just get deeper sometimes and unearth some things that are really important. And I love that. Now I want you to think about it. How, how strange would it be if I, walked with my wife four, five, four to five times a week and we said nothing to each other the whole time. We, we didn't talk. How strange is it that we have been told that we've been given the Spirit of God and that Jesus is with us and the disciples for some reason understood that better than us because they walked with him for three years but then they saw him going to heaven and they knew he was in heaven. They knew he was directing him. They knew they could talk to him. They knew by the Holy Spirit of God they had this ability to walk 24-7. And how often do we go through our day with Jesus beside us walking and say hardly anything to him? And he just says, man, I am here. I'm not here to shame you. I'm here because I love you. And I want to tell you, when you start to say, God, I'm going to do what you called me to do. I'm going to look for those opportunities. You are in a place where you're going to go, I need to talk to Jesus. Because I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have the resources for the marriage that this person is struggling through. I don't have the resources for the family situation that's being experienced here with a a child. I don't have the resources for for this um, parent who has an adult child who's really stuck. Or I don't have the resources to be able to understand in this business situation, but Jesus, you do. You do. And I'm going to walk and I'm going to talk with you.